Well, as we start our Advent uh, celebration, it's a time of year where we uh, look forward to the arrival of Christ and remind ourselves of the blessing that we have in Him. We, we celebrate that along with uh, many in the church uh, for uh, many, many years, thousands of years, uh, to um, around a Advent wreath. And the reason that we have that is really rich with symbolism. So every week we'll be coming back to this and lighting a new candle. And since this is the first week, just to give me just a second, and I will explain again the purpose of it, because tradition without meaning is kind of pointless, but when you recognize and remember what it is, it's filled with celebration. So the wreath is evergreen. It reminds us the everlasting life that God has given us. It's also in the shape of a crown, uh, reminding us that Jesus has conquered death with eternal life, and that he is king of kings, and has given us the opportunity to be part of his royal home. On top of the the Advent wreath, there are four candles, and uh, each one represents something different, and each week we will light one more candle. It's kind of a way of celebrating the arrival of the light of the world, who is Christ, into uh, to this place. So we celebrate his birth. And so we start this week with the, the purple candle, which uh, purple is the color of preparation. We prepare our hearts, and it's a time of, of self-reflection, but also reminding ourselves of what God has done to make sure we're in the right spirit to celebrate uh, his arrival on Christmas morning. And so that's what we will start with today. And the first candle is the candle of hope. Uh, and then that's what we'll be lighting today. And then on Christmas Eve, we get to light the center candle, which is white. And that is the Christ candle, reminding us that indeed the light of the world has come uh, to save us from our sin and to allow us to live with him in the light. And so that our sins would be forgiven and that we would be saved and enjoy the victory of eternal light in Christ. And then on Christmas morning, of course, all of the lights grow brightly, uh, glow brightly as we celebrate the joy that we have in Christ. And so today, uh, we will begin by lighting the first candle, the candle of hope. And as we do, listen to, uh, Jan is going to be reading a portion of the Nativity story. This Advent uh, reading is from the first chapter of Matthew, verses 18 to 24. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home as his wife. Thank you. Okay. Today we focus on hope. What an amazing scripture that is, isn't it? Uh, filled with hope, and uh, I think sometimes we need that. That we call the series "Christmas in a in a different light" or a new light. Is that 
I think a lot of times with us in culture, we get to this time of year, and Christmas is fun, and it's wonderful, but it has so much tradition, we forget the reason that we celebrate. And sometimes, in the midst of that, uh, because we take our eyes off the purpose of it, it can become uh, maybe a time of year that can be frustrating, that can be disappointing, it can be a uh, time that there's a lot of anxiety and stress, and it's important for us to remember that Christmas doesn't just give us a new light uh, for a season, it gives us a new, a new perspective on all of things in life. So we're going to be focusing on that even today, and uh, I don't know if you've had a little bit anxiety-producing time. Sometimes Thanksgiving can even be anxiety-producing, as ironic as that is, right? We celebrate all the blessings that God has, but also travel and, and all the cooking and the busyness and then family and, and all of that can sometimes cause anxiety. And this time of year really does that too. In fact, uh, there's a lot of studies that show that holidays, one of the most joyful times of the year for many, is also one of the most uh, uh, anxiety-producing and the most uh, despairing times of the year. And we have to look at why do we have that? Um, because um, anxiety can create all kinds of problems in our lives. It can create uh, emotional problems where have you ever noticed that you're not as friendly when you're anxious, right? It's the, the way that it is. Um, I remember when I, here just recently, I went out to a restaurant, took my son. I was really excited because, you know, I saved up and I was going to have a day with my boy and he wanted this particular restaurant. We're going to go, we're going to do that. And we get there and it looked like from the outside that it was closed. And I was so discouraged right? Because I would been saving for this and then all in anticipation. And then it looked like I wasn't going to be able to do. And he's like, well, we could go somewhere else. And I, here I want to spend time with my boy. That's the whole reason that I went there. I was like, I was like, no, nah, I don't like, I just kind of snapped at him. How silly was that? Well, it's because anxiety causes us to be, it's like the, when we're squeezed, whatever's on the inside comes out. And when you're squeezed hard, whatever really deep inside comes out. And anxiety kind of does that. And I feel like it's important for us, as, and Scripture really shows us, that, that our anxieties aren't things that God tells us to just forget about. He addresses them. And he addresses them with something amazing, and it's, it's hope. So anxiety is a thief. It steals your happiness. It steals is your joy. It steals your relationships. It also steals your health, by the way. There's a lot of health problems that are caused by, by anxiety. And what we want to do is we're going to read... Um, in Scripture today, and, and that, the day's reading really speaks to that, is um, how do you face this season and life in the midst of the anxieties that is natural, a part of this world? Because I guarantee no one here has a perfect life. Like, all of you are dealing with something, right? Some of you are in a peaceful or more time of life, but all of us are dealing with something. Uh, how is it that you can experience victory over the anxiety, in, in this world today? And the answer is, has a lot to do with the hope we have in Christ. And so this morning, uh, think about the reading that Jan read. Uh, that was that very first Christmas, right? Uh, you have Mary becomes pregnant through this uh, spiritual conception, right? And that's something that's never happened before. And Joseph, who is engaged to be married to her, all he knows is that his wonderful betrothed wife, like she's his fiance, is now pregnant. And what would you think? All right, this, things didn't go as planned. Um, he was being squeezed a little bit, maybe a little anxiety. What is everybody going to think? They're going to think I did this, and he was a righteous man. Plus, his dreams of the future with this wonderful woman. Mary was a remarkable woman that all of a sudden that disappears. I mean, there's, he's got problems. And so he has anxiety. Things were not going according to plan. 
And in the middle of that chaos, as to he, he wanted to do things right. He was a loving man. He didn't want to scorn her or to get retribution. He was positive that she had been unfaithful, but he didn't want to go and you know, bring her to public disgrace. He said he wanted to divorce her quietly right, and to not expose her to shame. It just shows the kind of guy that he was. But still, I mean, his world was kind of falling apart. And she has this crazy story that an angel showed up and said that she was going to be the mother to the Messiah. Are you kidding me? So not only is she unfaithful, she's straight up crazy. Right? This is a big deal. And in the midst of all that anxiety and all of that turmoil, God shows up, right? You have this angel that shows up. And here's the angel's message. And he gives her, it says, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife. And what emotion do we see in there that the angel addresses? What's well, God's message? Fear. Right? Don't be afraid. The very first thing that he gives, he knows right where Joseph was at. That there was this fear that Joseph had. My world's falling apart. Things aren't going to plan. What am I going to do? All of this fear. And why was he not supposed to be afraid? Well, because God was doing something. This was a work of God. There was a hope that he had that it wasn't all as it appeared to be. And there was, the angel was saying, you don't have to be afraid, not because of what you see, but because of what God is doing. See, in Scripture, many, many times, over and over again, you find that God counters anxiety with hope. He tells us, you know what, this world isn't exactly the way that, it's <laughs> that I wanted it to be. There are going to be difficulties but don't be afraid. And the reason we're not afraid is, isn't because our circumstances are perfect. The reason that we're not afraid is because our God is perfect, and he's at work even in the midst of our circumstances. So this morning, we're going to unpack that, that gift of hope that God gives us, which helps us not just to see this season in a different light, but an entire lives in a whole new light. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn them with me to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And you'll say, Aaron, well, that doesn't sound like a Christmas text. It's too far into the Gospels. It's already the 14th chapter. That's well past any nativity would have taken place. And I would say, yes, indeed it is. In fact, this takes place when Jesus was already in his public ministry. And Jesus was out and he was, he was, uh, he was about to be killed, right? He was giving a warning, right? That, that uh, hey, listen, guys, uh, there's a day coming that, that uh, I'm going to die. And, and he's telling his, his disciples, and some of you are going to deny me. And Peter says, well, all these other fools are probably going to betray you because I know them, Jesus, but not me. Right? I will die with you. And you think for a reason of having fear, Peter seemed pretty fearless in the midst of this. And then Jesus says, well, hate to tell you this, Peter, but by this, uh, before, you know, this rooster crows tomorrow morning, uh, you're, you're going to deny me three times. Undeny it. I mean, how crazy is that? And then the gospel goes on to say, uh, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For my Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. And you know the place where I'm going. And Thomas told him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. What an interesting reply after the end of saying, listen, you're going to fail. There's going to be death. But don't be afraid. There's something better for you. And he helps his apostles and us see hope through the midst of their present anxiety. Because wouldn't you be anxious? Well, in this passage and in this, uh, this, this telling, as, as uh, Jesus gives his disciples hope before failure, before everything falls apart, before there is death on a cross, before there are, is uh, personal moral failing and, and Peter falls away and, and denies Jesus and all of these things, Jesus answers that and he gives them a hope. And the hope that he gives them has something that is also for us. And there's a couple points I want us to gain from this. And the first one is that we recognize when there's a hope is a choice. He gave, jo- he gave Joseph a choice. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Like, you have a choice in this. You can cling to this fear. Also, your disciples, don't focus on, on what's coming next. Don't focus on your failure. Don't focus on what you think, what your circumstances might look like. Right? You believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to prepare a place in the Father's house, right? And if I go do that, am I, I'm going to come back and help you? That there's something that God is doing, place your hope in that, which will alleviate our anxiety, but it is a choice. And so I think when we look at these, uh, oftentimes in Scripture, we come across places where uh, the, the apostles, the prophets, those who come across anxiety, there's usually reasons for that. Um, and, and Jesus gives his disciples Two good reasons, first one being death, that's a pretty big reason to be anxious. The other one's failure, and I think that's something that most of us feel anxious about in life. And then he gives them that command, do not let your hearts be troubled, right? That was the command. If I go back to it, nope, nope. Well, anyway, hearts be troubled. Don't do it. There's a portion at which we can focus on our circumstances to the point that it just lets our hearts be troubled. Right? If you focus on what is wrong, what is bad, what is ugly, what is awful, what is anxiety-producing, what do you think you're going to see? What is bad, what is awful, what is horrible, what is you know, discouraging, what is anxiety-producing? And are there going to be things like that in this world? Yeah, because it's a broken paradise. <laughs> There's always going to be bad things in this world because we put them there. We broke this world, right? Sin abounds and sinners abound and we do all kinds of awful things and nature itself is broken. We're not living in harmony with this, this world the way that God designed us to. We broke the paradise. Bad things will happen and there will be discouragement and there will be things that will happen to our lives that are not fair and they'll seem right and, and that will be just part of this world. It is not uh, necessarily a, a, just a happy place all the time. And you're like, of course it's not, Aaron. My life would be an example, right? Exhibit A. And yet, that's not just bad things in this world. That God has given us a hope beyond this world. That's why Jesus came into this world. He shows us that God really exists. He shows us that God really loves us because a God who would die for you is a God who loves you. And if he's going to die and he's going to go and do that, he's going, there's a reason for it. He came to save so we could be saved. And if he goes to heaven to prepare a place, do you think he's going to come back after he's purchased it, done all the work? Absolutely he's going to. This is why in scripture it tells us that we get to choose what we focus on. It tells us to take every thought captive. 
That we have to choose what part of this life, what of our lives we're going to focus on. And, and there are scriptures that tell us, you know, to, to focus on what is true and what is right and what is lovely and what is noble, what is pure, right, what is admirable. It says, think on those things because they exist just as much as what is broken. And when we choose to focus on not our circumstances but our God in the midst of our circumstances, all of a sudden, we have a much brighter picture. We have a better context to understand our present-day brokenness because it says in Scripture that our light and momentary trials that we face today will pale in comparison to what God is accomplishing through them for us. So, hope is a choice, which is empowering. It's not as though that you go through the Christmas season, you're like, oh, okay, life is this way, and all of a sudden, poof, all of a sudden, hope just hits you. This season, why it's so important that we focus on hope is we remind ourselves this time of year, every year, because we need these reminders that God is real. How do we know? He came in the flesh, right? He entered time and space in history. He fulfilled all kinds of prophecies. He did miracles that can't be explained any other way. He died on a cross, and then, amazingly enough, he resurrected as history itself testifies. And if he was true in that, he's true in all things. He revealed who God is because he was God. He showed up. Gives us hope that this world is not just about this world. That our life is not just summed up in the total amount of of the joy that we have and the food that we eat and the clothes that we wear. That you're summed up so much more than the few things you can accomplish in 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, or 80 years in this world. We have eternity in our souls. And there's something so much more for us than this brief experiment on earth. And we have a hope that is so much bigger than this world. But you have to choose to cling to it. We have to choose to focus on it. And so whatever it is that you're facing right now, let me remind us that there are promises in Scripture that if you are God's child, He's working everything together for your good. And you say, how is that possible? Because some of us are facing really horrible things. Because in comparison to what God is working out through those, what you're facing, as enormous as it may seem right now, is light and momentary. So just hold on. Because we don't take rejoice in today. We rejoice in the God who is redeeming today. We rejoice in what he's going to do in the future. We have a hope. The second thing that we find in this, and you saw it, is that hope has an object. We don't just have blind hope. No one just hopes in nothing. There's nothing to hope for in nothing. That's why it's nothing. But we hope in something. Everybody hopes in something. I went to the CU football game yesterday, if you could call it that. It was ugly. It's probably one of the worst football games I've ever seen from our perspective. From the other side, Utah loved it. it was, right? And we had you know, people all around us in the stands that had tickets that they had been there like every game or whatever. And they kept hoping for a better coach. That's... Right? They had their hope in something. They're like, next year, this is the last game of this season, let it die. Our hope is we're going to hire a better coach next year. We have a hope that it's not always going to be this bad. They had a hope in something. And maybe they'll go to a better coach. Uh, maybe they won't. Right? Well, we have a hope as well. Right? That, that our hope isn't just in yourself. If your hope is in you being having the strength to overcome your circumstances, you might be able to co- overcome them and you might not. And here's the thing, 
The world is bigger than you. And God never says in the scripture that he's not going to give you more than you can handle. It doesn't say that. He said he's not going to allow you to be tempted more than you can handle. And he'll always provide a way out so we can't blame God for our sin. But it never says God's not going to give you more than you can handle. Not one place in scripture does it say that. And that makes sense because if God wasn't going to give you more than you can handle, why on earth would you need God? And so we face things in our life that are too big for us. This world will crush any one human. So our hope, it can't be in us. It can't be in our circumstances. They come and they go, don't they? Times are good. You're going to hope in that your times are always going to be good? Well, things go up and down. I mean, look at the stock market. Happy days, sad days, happy days, sad days. If your hope was in that, you'd be schizophrenic. We have to have a hope in something better. Because it says in verse 1 again, it says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, trust that, I'm gonna, that God is going to do something in the future. He says, God is doing something now. That hope has an identity. That God showed up. There was something, I'm astounded by the faith of, of our Old Testament saints. Especially Abraham. Right, he was in a pagan country. All kinds of other foreign gods. In the midst of all this, didn't even have the Bible. It hadn't been written yet. In the midst of all of that, God speaks to him and says, hey, old man, why don't you move and live in a tent? And, and you know, take on a new name. You're going to have lots of kids when you don't have any. I mean, that's a lot of faith. He had a lot of hope in something that was, and, and all of those believers, right, you, you, the, all of those Jews for, for a thousand years going and presenting sacrifice at the temple and not seeing God but trusting and hoping that God was somehow at work. That we have seen God. He has come in the, in the flesh through history. Jesus came. He died on a cross. He rose again, and we know this. And Jesus says, don't have to just trust in, in a promise. You can trust in a person as well. But he came. That The reason that we have hope of our redemption is because Jesus came and paid the price so we could be redeemed. It's already paid. The victory has already been won. It's not like maybe Jesus will overcome. Maybe God will come and fulfill his promise. Maybe there'll be a Messiah. We have a Messiah. He has overcome. That is amazing. So it's not misplaced hope. It's hope placed in the only hands that can hold it. The God who overcame sin and death on our behalf and gave us other amazing promises to boot. Not just saved by God's grace through faith, but also made alive in his kingdom, part of his family. His Holy Spirit co-indwells with you, right? That he gives purpose to every part of our lives, that we're his craftsmanship, and he has good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. He has curated your life for your benefit and his glory. That's a real reason to have hope. So in the midst of our season, we don't look at what we currently are struggling through. Just like the disciples, right? They had some difficult things. Stuff was going to get difficult. wasn't going to make sense. God was going to do things and allow things that they just couldn't understand. He said, don't put your hope in those things. If you believe in God, trust me. And it proved to be worthwhile. On that great resurrection Sunday, as Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to the apostles, and all of a sudden they realized what God was doing, how amazing was that? Well, you have that same Lord, and we place our hope in him. He is just as much present in our lives now 
And so hope has an object. And so we must choose to place our hope in him. Not ourselves, not our church, not our country, not our politicians, not our economy, not our stock market. Place your hope in Christ and focus on him. Now, hope doesn't just have a uh, an object, there's also reasons for hope. Like, like Jesus gives us reasons. God always gives It's not like, like the football fans, right? They're placing their hope in a coach. The reason they're doing that is because without a decent coach, you're never going to have a good team, right? That's why they're putting all their eggs in that basket, right? I feel bad for the current coach, right? But they're, they're placing their hope in something because a coach could make a difference. And God gives us a reason to place our hope in Jesus. He's not just saying, hey, trust in Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, just trust in me. Right? He, he says, I'm going to give you some reasons, some really solid ones, why it makes sense and it's, it's valuable to place your hope and your trust in me. In fact, he gives them three, even in just this one passage, he gives them three. We've got lots more in scripture, right? But the first one that he gives us there, uh, he says, you know, my father's house has many rooms. There's a reason for that. There's a place for you. But there's, God has a plan. Like, don't just trust me that I'm going to save you, that, that I'm just kind of haphazard winging this. That there's a place for you, that God has prepared for this, that he has made this everything necessary, not just for our salvation, but also our redemption, that everything is in place. And guess what? It's worth it. Like, I've got a decent house. I live in Estes Park. I'm incredibly blessed. I got like a billion dollar view. Nothing compared to heaven, and I get to have that view a lot longer. That God has a place, and not only does he have a place for us, it's in his house. And if it's in his house there, then also we're part of his family now. I place a lot of hope in that because when I go through times where God seems really silent and my life seems really dark and things are really, really hard, isn't it nice to know that your heavenly father actually loves you? He hasn't forgotten about you? That his promises are not null and void until later? They don't have an expiration date? They don't have blackout dates? God's promises are good all the time. His presence is there. And even when I don't feel him, it doesn't mean he's not there. He is at work. And he treats me as family because that's exactly what he paid a high price to make me. Which means that he's not going to abandon me. He's not going to leave me nor forsake me. Nor will he do that with you. As in my father's house or many rooms. And beyond that, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's not just that I've got a place. It's that you got a place. This is where the general blessings of God, the general hope of God being real becomes really personal. That's amazing. There's nowhere in Scripture that God says that he saves people in bulk. Right? I'm just going to, all of these people, I don't know who they are, but they're pretty good. And so I've, he knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows the number of breaths that you're going to take in this life. And he knew that before the beginning of time. If you think about how what a miracle it is that you exist, take a, a look at a, a timeline of history of all the nations and all the wars and all the famines and all the crazy things that had to take place for you to be born. And he knew your name before the beginning of it all. He loves you. And there's a place for you. Not just in general. It's not just joy to the world. It's joy to your soul. It's joy for you and me. You belong with God. He's made a place for you, and he wants you there. That's a good reason for hope. He's not against you. Third reason Jesus gives us is that I'm going to come back to take you with me. That is phenomenal. That is not yet done. Aren't you glad that our present experience is not the finished work? 
Wouldn't it be sad if our current experience of life was the full finished work of God, like he was totally done and this is as good as it's going to get? Because that would be pretty miserable. The reality is, is for us who are in Christ, this world, as wonderful as it is, is as close to hell as we were ever going to get. Think about that for a moment. And our experience is pretty good. That what lies before us is so much greater than what we currently have. And that God is not done, though. That he's going to come back and he's going to complete the work. And if he came to pay the price, do you think he's going to come and, and get the goods? Right? Think about it. Some of you who are good planners might have bought Christmas presents well in advance. But not wanting your significant others to know what you got them might have left them with friends or at the store and said, I will pick them up later, but they're paid for. You paid for them. Do you think you're going to go back and get them? Yeah. Jesus paid a high price for our salvation, for the redemption of the world, to put sin and the curse and, and death itself to be a, a, annihilated. God, he paid a high price for that. And it's done. He's coming back. Today is not forever. Our hope isn't in what we have or even our greatest hope isn't even what Jesus has done. That's our done deal. Our hope is what God is going to be doing. And Jesus reminds us that's a good thing. And so sometimes in the midst of the despair or the trouble, the, the chaos or the, the brokenness or the injustice of this world, we don't just focus on those things today. We focus on the reality that our God is, is coming back to make everything right. That he's at work today to make that day right, but he's, he's working through. But, but ultimately, there is a day coming where Christ returns. We will see him with our eyes. You will see him with your eyes. You're going to hear the trumpet with your ears. Like you're going to feel the rush of all of the saints and the angels marching on back in victory. You are going to experience this as real as today and even more so. It's a reality and it will come. So we focus on this, and Jesus says, put your hope there. Put your hope there, because everybody has a future. But God has given us a sure and an incredible future. So focus what on pure, and what is lovely, and what is right, and what is noble, and, and what is good. Right? Keep your mind focused on those things. Recognizing that, that hope is a choice. That if you're feeling anxiety, you're not a victim to anxiety. Every human has reason for anxiety, every one of us. But we also have reason for hope. So you can choose to place your hope. You can choose to, to cling to hope. You can choose to focus on what God is doing, who our God is, and not just on what you're experiencing now. And that you have an object for your hope, a real and a sure one. That, that Jesus actually came. That's what we're celebrating for thousands of years have celebrated. That God came in the flesh. He is real. He has conquered death. And he is victorious. That our uh, object of our hope is much greater than, than anything in this world. He has conquered it all. And that not only that we have a great conquer, we have reasons for that hope. It's not just that God is good but what he's done for us and is doing for us and what he has before us is really good. So place your hope in that. Hold on, cling to hope just a little bit further. I think you'll find as we do that, as we focus on Jesus, how the things of this world kind of grow strangely dim. And so let the light of Christ into your heart this week, right? Focus on the goodness of the hope of Jesus, especially this season. And let God reframe 
this time of year and your entire life that you would see Christmas and your life in a whole new light. Now, how are you going to do that? There are some things I'm going to challenge you to do every week because we're followers of Jesus, right? So we have to follow. No one follows by standing still. That's getting further behind. None of us do that. We're going to follow after Jesus. So there's some things I'm going to challenge us to do to cling to that hope, to help put that into practice so that hope becomes real in your life. And the first one, why don't you focus on God's word? There's an anchor verse for this entire series, Romans uh, 5.15.3. And what does it say, you say? It says, may the May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Set that under your heart and mind. It's amazing as we meditate on that, as we think on that, that the God of, what is our God a God of? Is he a God of vengeance? Is he a God of despair, a God of destruction? He's a God of hope. He's a God of hope for you. And he fills us with amazing things, joy and peace, which we're going to celebrate in the next few weeks. But there's a thing that he calls us to is to trust him. So as you memorize this, begin thinking about it. How are you trusting God in the midst of your anxiety instead of focusing on the source of your anxiety? Trusting God's work in the midst of it. Take some time. Maybe you want to commit to just memorizing that, that anchor verse. Something else you might want to do is read Matthew chapters 1 through 2. Over the next, there's four Gospels, and there's four weeks of Advent, so we're going to go and have a little bit of the Advent story from the different Gospels. You get to see the birth of Christ from different angles. It's pretty amazing that what happened. So once you start this week, it's great to do if you have family to be reading that together, uh, the reality of, of what it was like when God became flesh. And that's a great reason for hope. Something else you might want to do is this week, purposely give God your anxieties. Stop focusing on the reasons why you have anxiety. If you notice that you're nervous, you're anxious, and you start snapping at people you love, maybe it's time to say, well, why am I doing that? And God, maybe it's like finances are tied. I'm worried what's going to happen. Lord, you've given me promise for this, that if I seek your kingdom first of righteousness and all else, I don't have to be subject to worry of, of want. So help me lean into you, right? Thank you for, for providing for me. If you're worried about health, I mean, thankful that God is the God who can heal anybody at any time, but also he's going to give you us all new bodies at some point. If we have anxious about, about relationships with people, aren't you glad that ours is a God of peace? That he's a God of, of reconciliation? That he's a God of wisdom? He doesn't just leave you out there to figure it out on your own? Whatever your anxieties are, go to them and thank God for his ability to help you in that circumstance. Give God your anxieties. Hand them over. Say, I'm not going to focus on these anymore. All they do is make me bitter and miserable. I'm going to focus on Jesus. I'm going to give God my anxieties. And maybe the fourth thing you could do this is to choose hope. So I'm going to choose not to live in anxiety. I'm not going to choose to live in, in being up and down based upon my circumstances. I'm going to choose to follow what Jesus say. Do not be afraid. Place your hope in Christ. What, who he is and what he's done for you and what he's doing. Choose that consciously over and over and over again. Maybe that's your next step this week. I think you're going to find there'll be a remarkable change in your life as you do that. And here's the thing that I practiced last year that a friend challenged me to do is every morning when I got up, right, uh, at, during the Advent, so I had all these times, is that I would wake up and I would think about my day and then I would thank God for what he was about to do. I said, God, I'm thankful for th that you are. I've got to have this really difficult conversation with someone. I'm grateful that you are wise and I'm going to ask that you give me wisdom. I'm grateful you're going to help me with that, right? Whatever it is, you just thank God for who he is. Ask him for his help with that. It changed my entire outlook on the season. I invite you to do that. Maybe that's what you do. Of course, if you're here this morning and haven't decided to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior yet, I want you to know that there is a God who came to this earth. That's what we're celebrating. That's why, the, that's why all the celebration is here. 
And he didn't just come so that we would throw a party for him. He came to save us. He came to save you. So if you're here this morning and you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe it's, it's time to take your first step of faith, your first step of joy, of, of peace, of, 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 of the love of God and the light of Christ by taking that step into the hope that God has given you. And if that's you, uh, it says in Scripture that, that we are saved by God's grace simply through faith. We place our faith in Him, and there's ways that we express it in our belief and our confession and repentance, our baptism and, and our discipleship. There's all kinds of things that God gives us to do to live this full life. But if you need to place your faith in Jesus to accept this gift of eternal life, the victory that he's won for us, that we're celebrating now, what I'm going to do is after this, this message, I'm going to go sit over there, and after the sermon's done, if you need to accept Jesus, then come, come over here and visit me. I'll answer your questions. We'll help you take those first steps, and you can have your entire life in a whole new life. It'd be the most amazing thing. Well, all of us have something to do. I've, I've given us all something to do. And maybe I didn't give you something. There's something you, else you'd like to do. Well, let me know what it is. Put it on your connection card. Why? It's an offering of yourself to God. You're making a commitment to God. I'm going to follow you this week. And I'd love for everybody to drop your connection card in the offering basket. Uh, let that be your first offering of your actions, your heart to God this season. If you've got a prayer request, write them down. We'll be praying for you. The uh, staff prays for you. We've got a prayer team that comes in on, on Tuesday. We pray for you. We pray for you throughout the week. Uh, let us talk to God on your behalf as well. Write that on there. And then drop that in the offering basket along with your tithes and your gifts as the basket's passed. All right. As you consider what God is calling you to do, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are real. I thank you that you are powerful. I thank you that you're just. I thank you that you're always good, even when the world isn't good. Uh, Father, I am also going to be grateful that, that you came to this world to save us from our sins, that, that uh, Jesus put on flesh, became full human to die on a cross uh, so our sins would be paid for. There would be a sacrifice of atonement that was worthy and accepted. That he said was enough to save us from all of our sins, past, present, and future. That he rose again and, and showed us that he conquered death on our behalf. That has given us a hope of eternal life. And not just eternal life in judgment, but eternal life with you. You've created a home for us. We have a place with you. So Father, I pray today that you would draw us into that. That you would draw us back into hope. And for anyone who is here today that is mired down with anxiety and with fear. Father, I pray that your spirit of, of compassion, of kindness, of hope would cover them like a blanket, that you would remind them of your presence and your goodness, that you would set them free from the bondage of fear, Father, so they can live in the light of your hope this season. And that light, I pray, Father, would shine through all of us this time, uh, that the world would know there's something different about us and would be able to, to ask us who we could point them back to you, the very reason we celebrate. Now, Father, take these commitments that we're going to make today. Help us to fulfill them in a way that draws our heart closer to you. Take our offerings and our tithes as well, that you would use them to build your kingdom for your glory. Now, Father, in all of these things, help us to center our lives on you and worship you with everything we are, for you are worthy. We pray all this in the wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus.